Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with Jennifer White. And Jennifer, before we start, um, what is the best um, secret Santa or white elephant gift you've ever received? Um, I will admit I am probably a social loser. And oh, you've nobody... never, you've never had one? <laughs> I, yeah, unfortunately I cannot recall going to anything like that. I mean, this is the problem with oh, my solitary no. life over here is I'm like, I live my life in my own little office by myself <laughs> and I'm too far away from everybody else to go to the parties. Oh, what about well, you? at least, at least this year. Right. Um, so, so I used to work for this big firm and instead of secret Santas, cause I think that's not PC a term. We had winter wizards, which oh. I think also might be non PC given like the right. Harry, Harry Potter book burnings from back in the day. Who knows? Um, but anyway, so I remember it was it was very funny. So um, this is not something I received because most of us just exchanged like chocolates or wine. But there was one person in the office who was like really into um, lighthouses, and her secret Santa, her winter wizard. Got her like an overnight stay in a lighthouse, which I thought was what? Very, very impressive, right? Apparently, wow. it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also remember one year when uh, there's like an announcement that Twinkie, the, the company that sold Twinkies, was going out of business and they weren't going to make Twinkies anymore. And I right. like bought a box of Twinkies for this uh, um, white elephant game and it was very sought after. That's but funny. That's excellent. Fortunately, Twinkies was saved yeah. and, you know, now it's like, oh no, it's a Twinkie. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it like New Coke and Old Coke where like, Maybe. people saved the original <laughs> Twinkies or something like right. that just to mm-hmm. see if they had the new formula versus the old formula of Twinkies? <laughs> right. oh, well, so funny. let's go on to our interview. <laughs> let's get down to business. Okay. What? So, you um, talk about Twinkies all day? No. Well, we could explore another country. So we're so, you know, we're in the U.S., so... We really focus on the U.S. a lot, but um, this time we're, we're branching out and talking to someone from another country and her very interesting stories. So exciting. Let's go. We're here today with Kathleen McKenzie, and Kathleen is something very new and interesting for us because Kathleen is from Canada, for one, um, but also has um, really interesting stories um, that we would love to, to explore and talk to her about. So, Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks for being here. Um, so we we always like to get a little background before we we kind of talk about your your actual story that relates to assisted reproductive technology and surrogacy. But do you mind telling us a little bit about um, you know where about where you are from in Canada and what um, what you do and what inspired you to to be a surrogate? Absolutely. So I'm in a tiny province. I'm in New Brunswick, Canada, um, and I'm way up north, so I get lots of snow. Um, I'm, oh, I have, do you, do you have snow now? Oh yeah. We have like three feet of snow already. Oh wow. Oh, yeah. Three feet. So, uh, we're getting more this week. So, um, winter's here to stay until about May here. <laughs> so much. <fun. laughs> I used to live in Maine and so I totally get that. I remember it like didn't go away forever. Yeah. We're only like eight hours North of Maine. Oh, only eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> I drive three hours just to get to Costco. So it's not that far oh, to us. Right, right. <laughs> oh, funny. Uh, and for me. So tell us about how you got into surrogacy. Yeah. So um, I have literally all of my aunts um, struggled with infertility. Um, three out of three. Uh, so when oh, I was growing cool. up, um, my mom was the oldest. Uh, so when I was growing up, my aunts were still having children. Um, so I got to watch, well, got to watch. I unfortunately had to watch, um, you know, I watched the needles and I watched the cycles oh. and the heartbreak. Um, and uh, my mother was blessed with amazing fertility. Uh, I was a birth control baby. <laughs> so, oh, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, blessed or cursed well, with amazing? No. Well, you know, it can, it can go both ways, right? Um but for me, uh, I actually got pregnant at 16 myself on birth control. <laughs> um, oh, so wow. I was oh, obviously wow. blessed to have that fertility, to have those options. Um, 
And then by I had my daughter at 17 and then I had my son at 19. Um, so for me, that like that's perfect, you know, picture perfect family. Um, and so at that point, I thought, you know, how could I be helping other families since, you know, like I've, I've watched a struggle. I know that there are struggles. I realize uh, how fortunate I was even at 19. I knew that. Um, so ironically enough, when I was in high school, uh, when I was pregnant with my first, um, I had taken childhood education classes um, just because I felt it was my responsibility to take that step. Uh, as a teen mother to not be in another statistic. Um, and during that course, uh, they had actually showed us a video about surrogacy. Uh, just, oh, wow. Yeah, like just to show oh. us like, you know, there are different ways to have families um, other than what you would normally think. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a whole project on alter like alternative families. So um, it, it was always in the back of my mind. Like I really thought it was really interesting while we were watching the information about it. And to be honest, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of information. Uh, so they really just touched on it. And this was in, you know, 2007. Um, so it's not like Facebook was out there and, you know, Facebook groups with all this amazing information. Um, so I had dabbled into it. And at the time, there was so little resources online. Uh, but I had joined um, a website, surrogatemothers.com, which is now shut down. Um yeah, <laughs> not because the site was bad. It was just, I don't know exactly what happened. Yeah. But Technology evolved, yeah. I think, is what it really came down to. I really to think on that Facebook yeah. took over, you know, the internet um, in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I was able to meet a lot of women who had already been surrogates there who had a lot of useful information. Uh, there was agency owners. And there's, people don't know this, but it's not like in the U.S. Like, we don't have a ton of agencies here. We don't have agencies by province, like stuff like that, what you guys do. Um, mm -hmm. So right. it was an amazing resource for information. Um, and I realized that this was the path that I had wanted to go down at that point. And so I dove right into it right away. Wow. So how did, how did it work? Could you be a little like, bit you, more specific? Did you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, how were you matched? How did you apply? Okay, what kind so, of screening? There's so much. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? that's okay. So did you did you actually go through an agency? Okay, so my yeah. first time, no. Um, and this is where uh, I take full responsibility uh, for my end of how this, my original surrogacy ended up. Um, there was a lack of information. I tried to find out as much as I could online. I spoke to a lot of couples online uh, who didn't have a whole lot of information about surrogacy in Canada either at that point. Um, so I had, uh, I was speaking to a couple from the United Kingdom, they're from England. Um, and so we talked for a while and they said, yeah, like, you know, we spoke to a lawyer and they, they said, everything's fine. You know, you're like at 19, you're, you're legally able to be our surrogate. No, 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 no. So I said, okay. Uh, by the way, for the record, that is not true. <laughs> uh, legally, oh, yeah, really? Uh, legally, for oh. surrogacy in all of Canada is twenty-one. Uh, and you didn't know that? I had no oh idea. My gosh! Wow. So okay. I said, you know, like we need a contract, and I was very, very naive. Uh, I said, you know, I know we need a contract. They said, oh, no problem. You know, we'll go to our lawyer. Uh, contracts for surrogacy are void in the UK, um, and they're still that way today. <laughs> Um, so I figured, well, we don't really need a contract if it's void there anyway. Like, what am I going to do? Go and sue you? I can't. Um, so they said, well, we'll have a lawyer draw everything up. No problem. Um, so I said, so did their lawyer draw something up? Uh, well, they told me that uh, their lawyer did. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, but me, you didn't sign anything. Well, you I didn't did see anything. when they came over with it. I signed it. Um, oh, you did sign something. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. did I, read, and you read it? it was yeah, I thought everything was very legitimate. Um, okay. But it wasn't. Apparently, it was just something oh. that they got off of somebody else. Oh, no. Um, which, again, I take responsibility for. That was my fault. I should have, you know, I should have gone to get my own lawyer here in Canada. Uh, so I, I get, I mean, I guess when you just don't know that, you know, everyone gets a lawyer and that's important that you don't know, you don't right. know what you don't know, right? Well, the thing is, is that. And I was say, we say that all the where, time. Yeah. Where it is, is that where it was void in their country anyway, like in. In the UK, surrogacy is really just a handshake kind of deal, and you just kind of hope for the best. <laughs> um, and I knew that back then. What I didn't know was that I should have had a lawyer anyway. Uh, know that now. Know better, do better kind of thing. Um, oh, wow. But there was lots of red flags before that to begin with. 
but we matched. Okay. Uh, they said, well, we'll go over to Canada. I'm a, I'm, I'm a traditional surrogate. So I also am qualified as an egg donor. And uh, so I said, well, we'll use my eggs. I'm super fertile. You know, maybe it'll only take one shot. Um, so they came over to Canada. They actually stayed with me and my husband and our two kids for the week. Uh, we got to know oh, wow. each other. Um, you know, like they ate Canadian foods. I cooked for them every meal. I mean, that's a lot of getting to know someone and trust that they're in your house and staying, yeah, right? Like, and we had spoken online and through uh, Skype for, over, I think it was seven months before. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I had oh, spoken wow. to their parents actually through emails. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Like I was, I thought that I had really covered myself. Yeah. Um, so I, I agreed to do it for um, a maximum of $2,000 in total, um, which I thought was going to cover everything the essentials, I guess. Um, 19 naive. <laughs> right. I was just say, wow, does that even, I mean, it does cover maternity clothes, but I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's pretty like, much it, right? Wow. Um, so they yeah. came over and uh, my cycle was, I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm really lucky where I'm as fertile as I am. Um, so we did the home inseminations um, and we got pregnant right away. So you also didn't go through a reproductive endocrinology clinic to do the like an IUI or anything no because in Canada the amount of clinics that are willing to work with traditional surrogates I think are down to two in all of Canada and um the most friendly I believe is out in Vancouver so it's on the opposite side of the other side yeah (laughs) yeah uh so traveling back and forth especially as a traditional surrogate they really monitor your cycles um, so you're looking at like daily blood draws and ultrasounds to check on your ovaries to see where your mm. follicles are at, uh, which would be a complete nightmare. Um, yeah. So 99.9% of traditional surrogates in Canada um, actually do home inseminations, which are completely legal. They're as legal as using a clinic. Um, so unless a surrogate cycle is really untrackable or the parents are really far away where they can't do the home inseminations because of time off work, et cetera. Um, Otherwise, we all do it at home in the safety of our own households, I guess. That's interesting. So, I mean, when there's a clinic involved, there's like testing and like you would, did, did he go, did he like show that he had done, you know, HIV and Hep B and kind of the standard tests? Yes, uh, we actually all did. Um, okay. At least I was knowledgeable enough to make sure that was all done. Um, Good. <laughs> um, all four parties, my husband and both of them had STD testing. Uh, he had a sperm analysis done through a clinic in the UK. And he was able to bring over the proof of that because I would not proceed without the proof. Yeah. Um, and we also had our testing already done as well on our end, uh, which we right. also supplied them. Right. Okay. So they knew that their baby would be safe, right? Right. Right. Okay, so they show up, they do the, you, you do the insemination, right? Then you go through, I think then it becomes like what everybody else, right? You, you go through the 10 day wait and all that good stuff. And, and, and then what happens? Um, okay, so I obviously did a home pregnancy test because without a clinic, there was no betas being taken. We got our positive test pretty early on. Um, so I was pretty impressed by that actually because uh, in my other pregnancies, it took a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything went perfectly. Um, I had brought up the fact in our contract, it said uh, that my first reimbursement would be at eight weeks. And it was only an average of like my maximum claimable amount was $200 a month. So, I mean, it didn't take long to accumulate that. Right. Yeah. Um, so right off the bat, they were already putting off those reimbursements, which was like $120 UK pounds. I mean, it wasn't wow. that much, right? Yeah, but yeah. definitely a red flag that like even when it's a small amount, they're dragging. Well, exactly. Feet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then at nine weeks, uh, I went in for my scheduled ultrasound, um, and we found out there was actually twins. Oh wow! Wow. Hence the early positive pregnancy. Yeah. Like, right? <laughs> Only by a couple of days, but even so, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was a little bit of a shock to me. Um, and I offered them because I said, look, I know that you don't have a lot of money um, and that's why you would have had such a hard time finding a surrogate. Um, are you looking into possibly doing selective reduction down to one? Just because I warned them, I said, look, like the doctor said there's a chance of bed rest. Like there are added risks with twins, premature birth, you know, placenta abruptions. Uh, I mean, there's a million things. There's 
their subhematomas, like it's 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 endless. Um, and had said, had they offered to cover like lost wages if you were on bed rest or to support you in other ways? No, they didn't. Um, the deal was that if I needed strict bed rest for any reason, she would come over and she would okay. come live with me. Oh wow! Um, yeah, um, because when I got pregnant, uh, my two children were six months and two years old. Right. So, so you're taking yeah. care of them. Yeah. Yeah. So they were still itty bitty. Um, so. Yeah, so they said, no, we want to keep both. I said, okay, no problem. I will bring it up. So uh, come around 12 weeks gestation, I said, like, look, like, I really need some kind of reimbursement. I'm really sick. I'm really hungry. So I'm eating a lot of food. Um, the doctor wanted my calories, like, super high because uh, I had started. Yeah, well, it's twins. And I wasn't gaining weight very well um, just because the I was already showing probably by 12 weeks. I was already miserable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when I started the pregnancy, I was a whole 98 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, and I'm only 5'1". I'm not yeah. a huge human being. Mommy. Um, so for two human beings to be growing was a lot for me. Yeah. So uh, they said, well, you know, we, we just we can't come up with the money. And I'm like, what do you mean? You keep, like, it's, do you realize how much money that is to you? Right. <laughs> like, wh- how, how are you going to afford to have two babies? Um, so the red flags were really starting to go off at that point, um, which was obviously too late anyway, because I was already incubating two human beings. Um, so then at around like communication started to drop off a little bit after that, uh, whereas it was like all day, every day. And it was every, you know, two days, every three days. Wow. Um, so I wasn't at this point, they're just like, no, we're not going to make any reimbursements or. Yeah, they're, they're pretty much like, well, I get paid next Thursday, and then Thursday would come. Um, and they were like, well, you know, like we had an unexpected bill pop up, so is it okay if we wait an extra week? And I was like, what was I going to say? Like, no, I want my money now, even though you don't right. have it. Um, so I just kind of went, okay. Um, and then right around 22 weeks, uh, we had found out at about 19 weeks that it was a girl and a boy. Uh, they were fraternal. Um, yeah. So I was like, Oh, you know, I'm glad for them. At this point I was still not getting anything from them. Um, but at that point I was like, well, you know what? It's only, you know, like what, 15, 16 weeks left. Like I can do this. Um, so the weeks went on and at around 22 weeks, uh, communication suddenly stopped. Like fall off the grid, completely stop. I'm texting them, which cost me a fortune because overseas, and at that time, they didn't really have these, you know, these packages for overseas texting, right? Right. So it was like, I think it was like 40 cents a text message. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm texting them like, hey, you know, like, what's going on? How's everything going? Are you guys preparing for the babies? Um, and I got nothing back. Um, so then I had an appointment at 27 weeks, and I still not heard from them. And I, and I was going to my, you know, my appointments by myself. No big deal. Let's just carry on pretty much. Um, a naive state of mind that, well, you know, they're nervous, you know, they've got a lot going on. Um, so at 27 weeks, I was, I was, uh, hooked up to machines because they did weekly, uh, non-stress tests for the babies, the placenta, make sure everything was going fine. Um, and they noticed that I was having a lot of Braxton hits and I wasn't feeling them. But they were there, and they said, well, you know Um, what, like, maybe you should start to take it a little slower. And at that point, I think I was measuring about 38 weeks. Oh, wow. So I felt, yeah, I felt like a house. Um, (sighs) And they said, well, you know what, like, the babies have a little bit of extra fluid, so it's going to be a lot more weight on you. And it's, you know, we understand that you're getting tired. I think it's time that you start resting a little bit more. And you're taking care of two And you've got two little kids, kids. yeah. (laughs) Um, and there was a little bit of drama uh, during the pregnancy with the intended mother. She was sending my husband inappropriate pictures. So oh, my marriage, wow. like, yeah. So I was like, it was just a really, to me, it was really horrible. Um, so my husband wow. had moved out at this point. Like, we're trying to work on things, but there was just, like, a lot of stuff up here. He was stressed out. I was stressed out. And I'm dealing with, you know what I mean? It was just chaos. Um, and you're super pregnant with twins. Yeah. What a nightmare. Oh, so, wow. okay. um, so I texted them. I said, look, like you need to answer me. I'm at the hospital. The doctor said I need to take some time off my feet. Um, I was living on like the third floor of my apartment building oh. and doing those steps all the time. Like I said, like, look, I need her to come over and I need a little bit of help now. 
include. Like I've been really patient yeah. the whole like, time. Do, do what you promised to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. And so they said, okay, well, I need you. To, I need you to fly down to Halifax and then take the train back with her because she doesn't want to fly alone. She doesn't want to travel alone. I said, no, like you're not hearing me. I can't travel that far. This pregnant with twins. Um, and the doctor wants me to rest. I can't travel six hours because your wife is being a three-year-old about this. I need her to come over and help me with this now because I'm sorry, but she's going to have to get over not wanting to travel alone. She's got two babies who might come early unless I learn how to rest better. Um, so I heard nothing. He wouldn't answer any of my text messages for about a half hour, 45 minutes. And then he said, well, look, this is what's happening. Uh, she's been living with her parents for the last month about uh, we're getting a divorce. And um, no, we're not going to be able to go over it all. Um, you're going to have to figure that out. Whoa. And I, I said, what? I said, no, no, like Whoa. that's not what we agreed upon. And he said, well, that's that's the situation right now. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't leave work. And I'm thinking, like, that's not how this works. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Attack. Um, at, in the hospital at my appointment, I was crying. I was probably a blubbering mess. I was, I was just complete meltdown in the hospital bed on all these monitors. Um, and I started to get contractions. Um, and it, I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. I told, like, this poor nurse was like, oh, my God, you can't. Like, they're not coming. They're not coming. And I'm, oh I was just, um, I was, I'm sure I was a complete lunatic. Um, and she uh, said, Rightfully you, so, though. So <laughs> you need to calm down because you're having contractions. And uh, she said, if we don't stop them, like, we have to send you three hours away to the next level three NICU. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm going to calm down. Like, this is what's happening. And the nurse just went, what? Just what do you mean they're not coming? I said, they're not coming. I don't know what to do. Um, and then they got back to me finally. And they said, look, uh, I'm, we can't come until after the babies are there. And then we can only stay for a couple days. And you need to, uh, if you want us to take them, you have to fly back to England with us um, until we have all the paperwork finalized. And I said, that, no, that's not how this works. Like, you have to be here. You have to sign the birth certificate still. Like, there is a legal proceeding for this. I was like, how do they even think they're going to leave the country with just, like, babies? Like, with do nothing. they just let them on the plane? Like, uh, yeah. They, they figured that since they figured I could go since I'm the biological and legal mother, and I would just, like, sit around in England for two months and then hope to God that they paid for my way back, right? Um, and I said, like, I can't leave my two kids. And you're leaving your kids? Yeah. You're taking like, your kids? Yeah, like, right. you want me to fly with four kids? Like, are you insane? And he said, no, no, we can't afford for you to fly with your kids. I'm like, well, where do you want me to put my children for two months? And they pretty much had looked like, you need to figure it out or we can't come. And I said, I don't know if it was just because I was just so incredible. Like I, like I said, I was acting like a lunatic, I'm sure. And I said, look, I can't, I'm not going to England with you. Like, you need to figure this out. You get back to me. This is not happening. Um, and then after about an hour after all this, because the doctor had kept me at that point, they're like, you're having contractions, we need to monitor you now. Um, and they had checked me, and they're like, well, all of this nonsense, you're at three centimeters dilated, you have to stay here for another few hours to make sure that this stops. And then, and then the doctor said, and when you go home, like, you need bed rest. Like, you need oh, to not be pushing this. And I was like, well, I don't even know how I'm going to do that now, right? Right, right. Um, so a week goes by, I didn't hear from them. Um, so I messaged them and I was, very, and you're just doing your best to take care of your kids yeah, like while it was just trying to rest. I guess situation. Like I was 20 years old. I had two kids of my own. I'm trying my very best to carry these twins the best I could. Um, and so a week later I was very blunt. I said, I haven't heard from you. Uh, I said, I'm looking for adoptive parents at this point, because according to you, you're not coming to get them at all. And I need a plan for these babies. So that they don't end up in foster care until a family is found for them. <sighs> yeah. Um, and I literally got a one-line message back saying, "Yeah, that's fine." Whoa. Oh my god. And I, I think part of me was hoping that that would get them to realize how serious the situation was. Um, I was definitely not expecting that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I took about another week just to get like my mind around it. I think. 
Um, and then I did start looking like I have, I had at that point, I had a lot of connections through surrogacy um, and a surrogate acquaintance of mine. Uh, she's in Moncton. And she said, look, I almost was a surrogate for this amazing couple, um, but they decided to go the adoption route instead. So I said, okay, well, do you think you can, you know, just give them my information, tell them that it's two babies, though I won't have them separated. That's the deal. Like, they will not be separated. They have to be adopted as a package. Because if they're not going to go home with their parents, they need to at least stay together. Yeah. Um. So she, she got a hold of them, and within... I think maybe two hours, I got a message back. Hey, she just happens to be in Bathurst right now. Um, is it okay if she goes over to meet you? Because uh, wow. her parents, act, she's actually from Bathurst, here where I live. And uh, her mom still lives here. And her brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so she just happened to be up visiting. So she came over and it was just an instant click. And, and she must have thanked me about a million times just to consider them. And I said, like, look, like, my main priority is just to get these babies into a home where they're going to be taken care of. They're going to be loved. They're going to be wanted. That's literally my entire goal for going through all of this was to get, you know, to help someone who would otherwise not be able to have children. I said, that is literally my only goal here. Um, And she, I think she was a little bit skeptical uh, just because I was young. Um, So... We had stayed in contact a little bit. I think she was really scared to get attached. They had had a failed adoption the year before uh, where oh. the mom suddenly took the baby for a weekend and there was nothing they could do about it. And then after oh, the wow. weekend was up, the mom changed her mind. And this was after birth. Um, so I can't even imagine that kind of roller coaster ride for them. Um, they had had the room set up. They had known the, you know, the mom through the pregnancy. Um, so they knew it was a girl. They had everything set up for a little baby girl. And then just to find out that they're actually not filling that room. Like, I, I, just, I don't know what they had, they had gone through. Um, right. so, so hard. Yeah. So uh, in Canada, adoptive parents cannot uh, give anything to the birth mother. Uh, no form of cash, no form of food, like absolutely nothing because it's seen as coercion. Um, so I know in the U.S., like, they're able to help the mother with, like, bills or whatever. Um, here, that's strictly against the law. Um, so she, yeah, so she was able to come to an appointment. I had to travel three hours south for, um, a level three ultrasound, uh, because here our technology isn't quite there yet. Um, so they, they don't have, have the equipment in your local small town. What? No, no, they don't. <laughs> 13,000 people apparently don't need all this huge equipment. Um, what? I'm shocked. Yeah. Uh, we actually have to travel right now because our own labor and delivery unit is closed. <laughs> oh wow yeah um but uh they had to go they had to you know check the flow of the cords uh check the flow of the placenta make sure everything was still working properly um that was at i believe 31 weeks um and my body was still holding up but i was dilating slowly uh, most likely just because of the weight uh, and not being able to rest very much um so at 32 weeks uh i called her and i said look like I'm having some contractions and I'm worried that I won't have a whole lot longer. I really want you there for the birth. Is there any way you can come up? Um, so she came up six hours. She drove six hours to be here. And uh, I went into the hospital and the, and the hospital said, well, you're almost six centimeters dilated, but we don't think it's true labor. We're going to send you home. Uh, <laughs> which is the most horrifying thing you can tell someone at 30 right especially after they've driven six centimeters, <laughs> driven six hours yeah, to get there I'm like, right i'm like wait you're sending me home at six centimeters dilated like i'm like right like, with twins yeah like <laughs> hanging out of me by the time i get home um so i went home and she said well i'm gonna spend the night because i'm here already and i'll go back home in the morning and then okay and so i went back home and I slept that night. I woke up the next morning. Contraction started again. I said, look, like, I, I know I'm not, I'm really not trying to waste your time, but it's really important to me that you be there for the birth. I'm having contractions. I'm going back in. I'm like, I'm in real pain. And I think that she kind of thought, oh, here we go again. It's just false labor. So she said, well, I'm going to take a shower. Uh-huh. I'm going to eat. And then I'll go pick you up. And I'm like, I'm in my living room. Okay. Like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> uh, so oh, she, no. she, she came and I got in. I had a babysitter for my other kids. 
And uh, we went up to the hospital and I don't think she realized when I said I'm in pain, I meant I'm really in pain. And so when we got to the parking oh, wow. lot at the hospital, another contraction hit and I had to stop and kind of, you know, like in the movies when you see them squat. Yeah, I totally did. Yeah, that yeah, side, holding onto the railing, not caring what anyone was seeing of me. Um, and she went, oh, you're in pain. <laughs> and it was like a light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> and she ran to get a wheelchair. And I said, no, I'm, I can walk. I just have to wait for this pain to stop. And she goes, no, no, you're getting in a wheelchair. Um, and then we got up to the labor and delivery suite and they checked me like, oh, you're at eight centimeters. And I went, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is why I didn't want to go home last night. Um, and they went, oh, okay, well, we need to get the anesthesiologist in here because I – I didn't want a C-section. Um, so the thing with twin deliveries is that if you want to have um, the twins in the OR room in labor, which is not comfortable at all, you can't move like you're, I mean, you're on an operating table. Um, that's fine. You can go in there without medication. But if you're going, if you choose to have them in a normal delivery room, the protocol is that you have to have an epidural in case something goes wrong, which it can very uh, quickly happen, right? right? Um, so they're like, yeah, well, especially yeah. twins. So they're like, well, we need to get, you know, your epidural in. Like, I don't even know how we're going to have time for this. And the whole time I'm just like, like, I know this is why, <laughs> this is why I was shocked when you sent me home yeah. last night. <laughs> um, and so they're rushing around and she's in the room, she's in the corner. Like I, I have pictures of me in labor with the twins and she's like in the corner, very nervous. In some pictures, she's just like holding her forehead, um, and she's a massage therapist. Uh, that's her career. She teaches it, and she also owns her own company. And so for her, her her instinct was to touch me and to help me. And I was like, no, don't touch me. I'm in pain. And then they tried to do the epidural, and it wouldn't go in, so they had to take it out, try again. Um, and then they finally got it in. But then I, I said, don't bother turning her on. I got to push. Um, so they finally got it in place, and sh I'm sure she's – thinking in the back of her mind, what did I get myself into? And I'm laying in the bed and I have a needle in my back, but they can't turn it on because I'm ready to push. So I can't move either. And I'm terrified of paralyzing myself because I'm just, I've never had an epidural before. And so, um, so the doctor's like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Like the baby's head's right there. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> You're like, I've been telling you this. <laughs> like this is why I didn't want to go home. <laughs> like this could have been avoided. Um, so, uh, the first baby came out, like, I think there was maybe one push. Um, he was so small. He was, uh, he was only three pounds, 11 ounces and only 16 and a half inches long. Mm -hmm. So he was like this teeny tiny mm -hmm. bundle. Um, so he did need oxygen right away. Uh, he had a lot of mucus as well, which is really common with premature babies. Um, so they pretty much, they, they showed me him, they took pictures, uh, the, the, the mom cut his cord. I made sure that she was, she was going to cut oh, the cord and everything, good. which is really important to me. Um, and so they took him, they cleaned him off. She got to see him and kiss him. And then they took him off to the NICU. Um, but then baby B fell over sideways when, when the first baby came out, which is really common as well, just because all of a sudden there's all this extra room. Right. Um, so she fell over sideways and I, the doctor said, well, um, either we go to the OR and C-section this baby out or I can try to turn her again. And, and the mom was in the corner. She's like, what do you mean? You're going to try to turn her. You can't know. I went, okay, try to turn her. And so let your imagination take place. One hand internally into the uterus Ugh. and one oh, external yeah. to try to turn her. But I was extremely lucky where I had a doctor who was willing to do that as about 85% of doctors would have said, Oh no, C-section. Um, so I was very fortunate. Like I'll, I thank that doctor so much. Um, so we got her vertical again. Uh, she, and then the doctor said, well, we are going to break her water because otherwise she's going to fall over again. <laughs> She's in a big old bubble. She wanted to stay in there, huh? Yeah. I don't blame her. She wasn't ready. Um, so she came out and she was three pounds, nine ounces and 16 inches. So they were almost the same size. Um, and so she was all cleaned up and she was, she was fine on oxygen. Like she didn't need any, any assistance whatsoever. So they cleaned wow. her up um, and the mom cut her cord too. And uh, they were both sent to the NICU. Um, 
and I just kind of puddled around in the delivery room for a little while after. Uh, I had a small bleed because the placenta is when it, when it's twins, the placenta covers so much of the uterus that when it comes out, there's a huge gaping wound in the uterus, uh, which is which is what happens after a single birth. Uh, but with a twin birth, that that placenta is really like it's twice the room. Um, so postpartum bleeding out is really common. And the placentas had actually fused together because they were so close. And so during the pregnancy, they had actually fused into one. And um, yeah, so when they came out, it was like a huge placenta. It was really beautiful, though, to be honest. I still have pictures. Um, but so they dealt with my bleeding real quick. I got, was really lucky. It was very quickly controlled. Um, and then the mom went to the NICU with the babies, and she got to see them and have those special little moments. Um, and then I went to my room. They wheeled me down about an hour after. Um, and I signed myself out seven hours after birth. Oh, uh, wow. They, I, they let you? Well, I had to sign myself In out. In the U.S., they, like, they, they won't let you go. Well, see, oh, they okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, the doctor was like, oh, no, no, you're staying for two or three days. Like, we need to keep an eye on you. just had twins. Uh, you're high risk right. for hemorrhaging. And I went, no, 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 I'm not staying here. Like, this has been a very traumatizing experience for me. I don't want to be here with all these other moms with their babies. I don't want the lactation specialist to accidentally come into my room and tell me about how I'm going to be nursing my two babies. I don't want another mom to be in here with her newborn and have to watch that bonding experience. It's great for them, but I just want to go home. Wow. Um, so I can see your own babies. Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm done with this. Um, so I went home and I honestly didn't go back to see the babies for five or six days. Um, because they, they, they need to stay in the NICU for about a month. Um, and the adoptive parents were kind of scared to come back and bond because they had done that, uh, with, with the last baby they tried to adopt and it didn't work out for them. Um, so the hospital was calling me like, you need to make medical decisions for these babies. And I said, no, I don't want to. Here's another. So there was no, no one there with the babies, just the hospital because yeah, the adoptive parents exactly. weren't there either. Um, so a couple weeks later, though, um, the adoptive grandparents uh, decided to go in and see them. Um, and they were still at a point where you couldn't really hold them that much because they would get excited and their heart rates would go up a lot. Um, and one of the twins had really severe reflux, which he still, he still deals with today. Um, his biological father also has reflux as an adult. Um, so it was always a possibility, but it wasn't something I thought I'd have to worry about, right? Um, so uh, we had to try a lot of different medications to try to deal with the reflux because he wasn't gaining any weight. Um, and then it came down to it. I was going in to nurse them at night um, to help oh, strengthen wow. their, their jaw muscles so that they could take bottles better. Um, so I was pumping breast milk at home for them. In the end, I was nursing them at night. Um, and then I was with my kids during the day. Um, and then finally, uh, they were ready to be released. So I went into the hospital. I had to make all my statements on paper. I had to write down that I was giving them up for adoption, um, but I wasn't being coerced. Could you not give them up for adoption before? Oh, was I, it, I in Canada, there's like a certain amount of time or how did that? Uh, what it was is that in Canada, there's no such thing as pre-birth orders. Um, especially with adoption, because it is straight adoption. You can't give the rights, you can't give your rights away before you even have them. Mm -hmm, right. You know what I mean? But you um, had to wait for a certain amount of time, or is that um, why? I think it's only seven days in Canada. In my province, I think it's only seven days as well. Um, but with how the parents were reluctant to come in, um, the staff wasn't, like the social services has total control over adoption in my province. There's, there are no adoption agencies. So I was waiting on social services, who was, they were also responsible for giving me counseling, uh, which I never received. Uh, it was never even offered. Um, they were responsible for follow-ups, which they never did. Um, they pretty much called me over the phone one day, said, look, um, we, you fell through the cracks. We completely forgot about you, um, but we need you to write up all these statements about why you're giving the babies up for adoption, who you're giving them up to. Um, and it was just about when they were getting ready to be released from the hospital. Um, so it was a lot of emotions for me because I, there was so much going on 
I had pretty much, you know, taken care of these babies for almost six weeks. Um, and when you're weaning from breastfeeding, there's a lot of hormones yeah. <laughs> because your progesterone levels are suddenly like soaring when you're weaning off of breastfeeding. Um, so I was already a mess. So I went into the hospital to write up all these statements and I was just like sitting there crying, trying to write. And I, and the poor nurse, the, the NICU nurse, she meant so well. She goes, you know, you don't have to give up your babies. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm just a mess. Like, I want these babies to have a better home. And she goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and I think she fought herself on coming back to try to talk me into keeping them because she wasn't really aware of the whole story. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was definitely a mess. Um, and then I, we had agreed that I would say goodbye to the babies before they left because they lived six hours away. Um, so lines got crossed, uh, social services and the hospital were all supposed to call me when the babies were released. Um, again, I guess no one talked to call me because I went there with my kids because they had not seen the babies yet. And I thought that they would, they deserve some kind of closure. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, you know, we'll go, we were, we were allowed to take pictures, uh, with my kids before they left. So I went in and the kids were all dressed up and they were all clean and they looked good. And I actually, you know, showered. <laughs> I went in and, um, and, you know, I pressed the buzzer like, oh, no, they already left like three hours ago. Oh, wow. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> like nobody called me. Like you guys were supposed to call me like 12 hours before discharge. I'm like, oh, we forgot. <laughs> like, um, my rights aren't even terminated yet. What do you mean you released them? <laughs> Um, because here I can sign my rights away, but I still have them for 30 days. Um, so they're technically, they weren't terminated yet. Like I had like four weeks until they were terminated. I was like, how, what kind of shit show is this? Wow. Um, but yeah, so I, I called them and, and they made arrangements to come and meet me at my apartment at least. Okay. Um, so I, so in the end, um, so I, they hadn't fully left. left, like they weren't headed home. They were like three hours, hours away. Oh, um, they turned around. Wow. They turned around for me, which I'm, I'll forever be grateful for that. That's incredible. Um, it really is. So, like, my kids have pictures. Like, they're, you know, they're two and one in the pictures, but they'll always have them. Um, and I've, I mean, I've seen the twins, I think, six times since then. And, um, yeah, like, I have their mom on Facebook still. Um, so, and she said, you know, like, any pictures you see, you can steal them. Um, which I have to advantage of <laughs> not uh, going to lie I'm like the creepiest mom friend in the world for stealing all of her kids pictures <laughs> um, and uh they send me updates every year still uh last christmas what they did uh was they they actually made me a photo album like nice. one of those little books yeah um and she put like pictures for the entire year Aww. into those books um, so it's still like in a Ziploc baggie because I'm absolutely terrified that my children ruin it. <laughs> um, so it's literally in like a huge Rubbermaid container in a Ziploc bag, in a Ziploc bag. I'm like, you know, like the house could burn down and these will be safe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you kept in contact with them. That is what is yeah. the long and the short though of that. So, so after a traumatic experience like that, like, what what do you do next? Like what what did you do next? Um. Well, uh, at first I tried to jump right back into surrogacy actually because I thought you know there's got to be a better a better story here for me. Like there's there's got to be like you know rainbow after the storm. Um. So I jumped back into it. I went to an agency in Canada, uh, just because I think for obvious reasons in my opinion. Um. So I matched with this amazing gay couple. Um. They they lived just south of Toronto, and uh, so we did everything properly this time. Uh, we did three rounds of IVF together, and unfortunately, um, we were unable to get pregnant um, just due to embryo quality. Um, and they were having some family troubles. Both of their moms got really sick, um, and one is from China, one's from here. So they were trying to spread their time between China and Canada. Um, you know, to see their mom, spend time with them. Um, and at that point, we just decided it was time to go our separate ways. Um, and then after that, it took me a few years, actually, to decide to go back into surrogacy. Um, it took it took me literally three, almost four years to go back into it. Oh, wow. 
for and it doesn't seem like a long time but fertility years that's a long time right although you were very <laughs> very young every too year, though. It's like yeah well the thing with surrogacy is that my eggs are only like they have an expired date um so <laughs> four years was you know four years of eggs every month just kind of being wasted <laughs> um when, but then, but when you were working with the the gay couple in toronto was it traditional surrogacy again so it was your you know, eggs? I, I actually went through gestational surrogacy okay. for them um i actually never thought i'd go back into traditional surrogacy um to me like that was a one-time thing i messed up severely therefore i had no interest in going back to it um however after taking four years i got remarried um, I had another baby of my own after we faced our own infertility, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it took us 18 months to get pregnant with our daughter. Um, so for us, after that, I said, like, look, like after what we just went through to have our daughter, I really want to consider going back into surrogacy. Because at least now I have a different perspective. Yeah. And it, it made me want to help so much more. Um, so I did. I've actually had two more surrogacies since then. Oh, wow. And were both traditional surrogacies or were either gestational? Uh, no, they're actually both traditional. Okay. Excellent. And you went through an agency for both of those, though? Uh, no. In Canada, there's only literally one agency who will touch traditional surrogacy. Uh, first of all, to me, it's just less profitable, um, if we're being completely honest. Um, just all around, it's less profitable. Uh, there's no IVF clinics. There's no ex expensive trips. There's less to coordinate for the agencies. Like it's, it's overall just there's not a whole lot of money in it for the agency or the clinics, really. Um, so I've been independent ever since. Okay, so but I assume like you, you weren't independent of attorneys going forward from there, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Um. I have my lawyers in Ontario just because in New Brunswick, there's literally only one um, lawyer who specializes in surrogacy. Um, so my intended parents have used her because they're closer. And whereas I've done this a few times, these parents have not. And I wanted them to have the security of being able to go into an office, sitting down with a lawyer and saying, like, this is really scary. Like, where do I go from here? What are our rights? And I found that that was really important, especially when you want those parents to have the full journey, the full experience. And it's not, I don't want them to have to worry about the legalities. I want them to be able to see a person, look them in the eyes and say, like, are we covered here? Like, you know, like just for that reassurance. Um, whereas I don't mind communicating with a lawyer through emails. Did, um, was there any follow-up with the British couple? Did they, did you ever hear back from them or did they ever, you know, follow up with what happened with the twins? So um, there was. Uh, I had tried to communicate with them when the twins were born. Um, I sent them messages over Skype, text, and email. That, that those were the only ways that I could reach them. Their phones were cut off. I assume they changed the number so I couldn't contact them. Um, all of my messages were returned as refused. They had blocked me on any kind of communication grounds. Um, so I tried to reach out to, um, to their parents who made it very clear to me that they still wanted updates. Um, so I tried to contact them with pictures. Uh, those oh, wow. also came back as, as blocked. Um, so the adoptive parents, in order to complete the adoption, technically they didn't have to have his uh, signature on any of the paperwork. Since unless you're a Canadian citizen, you cannot have rights over a Canadian citizen. Um, so the way it works is that I, I could have given up the babies myself without his consent whatsoever. However, it could have bit them in the butt later on if he had, you know, taken the initiative, moved to Canada, become a citizen, um, and then he could have fought for rights over the babies, <sighs> uh, which would have taken like a decade, but it's still plausible. It'd still be terrifying, though, especially as a parent, think, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're thinking about how incredibly ludicrous this entire situation is. I mean, anything is possible at that point. Um, so they took it upon themselves to hire a private investigator. Um, who did track them down, um, and she was not living with her mother, wow. for the record. She was still living with her husband. They were still married. Um, uh. mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, they had a lawyer figure out. They said, well, here are the paperwork. Uh, would you like to sign your rights over? He had absolutely no problem signing his parental rights over. He did not blink about it. He did not read the contracts. 
Wow. Uh, they asked if he wanted contact. He said no. Um, he literally signed the paperwork in his doorway. Um, wow. Like I said, didn't even read it. Um, and then two years ago, he contacted them out of the blue. I mean, they were almost six years old at that point. Um, and suddenly wanted updates. Um, so she asked me my opinion about it. I said, well, I'm still quite bitter about all of this. And I'm sure it's no surprise to you that I would not give him updates at this point. He chose to leave them. He chose not to have any updates whatsoever. He didn't want to be any part of their lives, nor did he want them to be any part of his. I said, that's just my opinion. Whatever you do is your choice. They're your babies. They're your kids. Um, so I didn't ask for follow-up because I don't think it's my business to know what they did. Um, but whatever they chose, it was right. What, what was right for them. Um, so I'll never know if he's getting updates or not because I'll never ask them. <laughs> But he did reach out after five years. Wow. That's that's just mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> so tell me what... I, obviously, you've been through the muck of it, and then you've had some positive experiences afterwards as well. I mean, what, what would be, if somebody was thinking about this and starting off, what, what would be your, your huge take-home advice for somebody? Okay, so in my experience, it doesn't matter how much time you spend talking to parents. Um, obviously, I mean, I took a long time, longer than most people. Like seven months is a very long time to talk to a couple before deciding to work with them. Um, usually you see like, you know, maybe two or three months. Um, but so it's, 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 there's no safe way to go about this. You're still going in blind. Um, like there, no matter how you can protect yourself financially, making sure that, you know, you both have lawyers, um, that the process is done legally. Uh, you can protect yourself, you know, by stipulating that if they decide that they don't want the baby or babies, that there is someone else designated to take them. Um, but I, I've seen negative stories happen even when all the dots, all the I's were crossed and the T's were crossed. Um, so it really has to be, you have to do this for the right reasons because you can't go in hoping and praying that everything's just going to turn out really well because it doesn't always work that way. Feelings come out that even the intended parents of the surrogate were not prepared for until the pregnancy was actually reality. You're dealing with so many emotions that no one's prepared for. So the only tips I have is go into it legally. Make sure that you do everything right. And if, you know, if something happens, then at least you know you've done everything you could. You didn't go into it ignorantly you went into it with open eyes and that you did it for the right reasons. Are you, are you done? Are you thinking like, this is it for you? Uh, well, I'm 27 now. Um, uh -huh. So it's so, not... so old. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. No. <laughs> um, well, I've had eight babies now. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. My doctor seems to think my body's still holding up really well. Um, she's actually quite astounded by how quickly, because when you have a baby, it takes all your minerals, your vitamins. Um, so uh, after every pregnancy, she does all my blood work up. Um, she sees, you know, like how quickly my, my vitamins can go back up by themselves. Um, this time I actually exclusively pumped as well for the surrogate baby. Um, so I'm actually just finishing weaning now off my pump. Um, so taking that into consideration as well, there's that hormone shift, right? Um, so after this one, I'm also pumping for the baby again. And then we'll have to see where my body is at at that point. Um, I'll, like if if I could, you know, write my own story and know how things would turn out and how my body would react, I would love to do this until, you know, until my, my doctor says, okay, it's time to stop. But every pregnancy could be our last. Um, if I have a first C-section, like that'll be it for me. Like I'm not willing to push my limits. Um, if I start bleeding out after the delivery, I'm done. Um, if I suddenly have a really rough pregnancy or I need bed rest or I start having babies too early, like even if my doctor says, well, you might be good, I'll, I'll just stop. Like there, there's a lot of risks I'm not willing to take. Yeah. But no matter what, I, you've already done this an incredible number of times and your generosity to other people and helping grow their families is, is mind blowing. Well, even if, even if I'm done this time, I am more than happy with, you know, the amount of the amount of help that I've been able to give. Um, and I mean, I'm lucky that I've had eight babies without any major complications. 
Um, so if this is my last, then so be it. And I'm, I'm more than well, like, I'm, I'm definitely welcoming that. Wow. I, again, you're, it's incredible how, how generous your spirit is. And, um, you, you are a true inspiration on helping people. So we really appreciate that you're willing to come on here and especially share what, what is still a traumatic story to you. I mean, obviously it's, it's still very emotional to you and I appreciate your honesty and coming on. Uh, yeah, it definitely can be at times. And I, I find that a lot of women going to surrogacy think, oh, well, there'll be no connection because the baby's not mine. But when you're yeah. carrying a baby for nine months and you're throwing up every day for that baby's sake, <laughs> right? And, and like your husband's going out to, you know, Burger King or McDonald's at two o'clock in the morning for a baby right. that is not even his. Right. Like he, at no fault right. of his. Like, right. And he's still not getting any sleep because you're not getting any sleep because you want that Big Mac. Right. Like there's a lot that goes into this. So it, it definitely takes an entire family to do a surrogacy. And when you do this, you also have to anticipate the point that you're also taking on someone else's infertility. And so any little, any little cramp, any little, you know, headache, you also have to realize that you're taking on that worry. Especially since most of us were contracted that we have to tell them every little thing. Um, so you have to take on the fact that they're going to be very concerned. They want you to go to the doctor over everything. Um, like it's, it's amazing the amount of information that this other couple will have about your life. Oh, <laughs> like they know how many times they know how many times you've pooped or not pooped this week. <laughs> like, they know that you've been prescribed preparation H for this week. They know that you've had three yeast infections this month and it just doesn't seem to be going away. Like there's just so much when when you're in the process of getting pregnant, you can't even have sex with your husband. So right. like they know <laughs> when you show up for transfer, you're both like looking at each other like this better work because I haven't had sex in three months and I'm starting to crack. Like they know everything. And you it's it's like you're expanding your personal lives to their family as well. And that's really something to think about before you decide to help a certain couple. Because if they're gonna be judgmental or if they're a little bit too out there for you, <laughs> you also have to keep that in consideration. You're literally going to be talking to them almost on a daily basis. There's just so much that goes into this that you don't know until you've done it, which is part of the beauty, but it's also part of the No, that's really, those are really um, important <laughs> things to know and good good advice for people who just don't know what to expect to, to realize how intimate this is. Um, well, we thank you so much for, for willing to share your story and your stories, um, and for sharing your, your, your generous heart with all of us. Um, but we, um, yeah, if you have that, that, um, uterus picture, we'll, we'll, we'll post it. Um, no, not, what was it? Not uterus. Sorry. Your placenta, the head bird. You're like, I said it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> Well, it was to me anyway. It probably looks like a really gross sleep to everybody else. But to me, it was beautiful. It's kind of like, you know, your, your baby's first poop. You're like, oh, my God, they pooped for the first right. time. Right. Oh, it's so beautiful. We'll, we'll husband, post that, too. Like, you're That's too. hilarious. <laughs> well, thank you again. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Lesson of the day. I think that the, the lesson is that there are so many ways that families are formed, and it's you know, no way is wrong, but I think that there are certain other, you know, certain methods that definitely provide more protections and hopefully right. minimize kind of the horror stories from happening. And I think what, you know, Kathleen went through was, was so, so rough and no one wants to be in that position. So I think when you're thinking about being a gestational carrier or a surrogate, that um, a matching entity and agency is is what? really a good a good I know I know is a is a good way to go just to have that support have that protection and really you know obviously things can go wrong as you know if you listen to the the Kim Surratt second episode with the FBI but I mean so. Yes, things can still go wrong, but I think it's minimized and it's less, less likely than when you're on your own. Right. Because you don't, I mean, I think we say this a lot, you don't know what you don't know. And so at least when you have an entity that deals with this all the time, they can help hopefully foresee some of these bad situations happening and, you know, or, or assist through them and make it so that it's not so traumatic. I, 
I'm amazed that she actually went on and did this again because it was so traumatizing that first time that it's like, what, what an incredible, generous, huge heart to be like, nope, I still want to do this for somebody else. So really incredible. Um, but please do, we want to hear comments. We want to hear what people say about this. Give us a call at 303-997-1903. We want to hear your feedback and what you have to say and your thoughts um, and would just love to hear from you and no matter what it is. And always, 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 we'd love to hear your reviews on iTunes and just, just so glad that you're here listening with us. 